Most of us at some point in time have had to face some sort of a test that we were dreading or not looking forward to, a test of great consequence, like if I don't pass this test, I'm not going to pass the class, or, or maybe it was an entrance exam for, for grad school or med school or something, a, a, a test like that, um, or maybe a test to be able to get your licensure or your certification in an area that you had been training for. So I want you to imagine for a moment that you're going to take one of those kinds of tests, and you've been working, studying, preparing uh, uh, together, and the day of the test comes. And so you go to the testing center, you jump through all the hoops that you have to jump through, show your ID, leave your belongings behind, and you're sitting in front of that computer, and the test is about to begin thinking through all the things that you studied. The test starts. It's a time test. At that moment in time, your heart is racing. Throat's dry. Your, your palms are, are sweaty. We all understand what it feels like to experience anxiety. How do we handle the worries and the stresses of life without living in a in a state of anxiety, without living in in a place of of worry and fear all the time? How how do we deal with the pressure that life puts on us without living like that? Well, this morning's passage in Matthew 6 is going to to speak to that. It's going to help us think about how we approach the challenges of life, but with the peace of God. We'll be in Matthew chapter 6, verse 25. At this point in time, Jesus continues teaching in the Sermon on the Mount, and this is uh, Jesus teaching about what it means to be a true follower of His. If you're going to be my disciple, Jesus says, this is what life is going to look like for you. And so this is a part of that teaching. And here we learn that true disciples don't live in fear and anxiety and worry, but true disciples trust in God and, and have His peace. Let's look in verse 25. Therefore, I tell you, do not be anxious about your life, what you will eat or what you will drink, nor about your body, what you will put on. Is not life more than food and the body more than clothing? Look at the birds of the air. They neither sow nor reap nor gather into barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not of more value than they? And which of you, by being anxious, can add a single hour to his span of life? And why are you anxious about clothing? Consider the lilies of the field, how they grow. They neither toil nor spin. Yet I tell you, even Solomon, in all his glory, was not arrayed like one of these. But if God so clothes the grass of the field, which today is alive and tomorrow is thrown into the oven, will he not much more clothe you, O you of little faith? Therefore, do not be anxious, saying, What shall we eat, or what shall we drink, or what shall we wear? For the Gentiles seek after all these things. And your heavenly Father knows that you need them all. But seek first His kingdom and His righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. Therefore, do not be anxious about tomorrow, for tomorrow will be anxious for itself. Sufficient for the day is its own trouble. In this text, Jesus teaches that we should not worry. 
He teaches that we shouldn't worry. It, it's that clear. It's that plain. And he, we see in this text five reasons that we shouldn't worry. First, life is more than just the physical. Life is more than, than just the physical. Now, in verse 25, uh, the passage begins by saying, therefore. In other words, there's a connection between what Jesus is about to say and what Jesus has just said. Now, last week, we, we looked at Matthew 6, 19-24, and we saw that Jesus calls us to walk with him in a way that is undivided, that we've got to have a, a single-hearted devotion to him. One of the temptations that, that we face in this world is to become kind of ensnared by, by materialism and greed. And so Jesus said in Matthew 6, 24, you can't serve God and money. You've, you've got to decide. Are you going to serve me or are you going to make your life about the things and the wealth of the world? Well, now he turns his attention maybe to the other side of the coin. Don't pour your life into to money and riches, but also if you want to walk with me and, and be my disciple, don't live in fear. I'm going to take care of you. I'm going to provide for you and meet your needs. So, so don't live in fear. So so Jesus is speaking to, to greed and materialism, and now he's saying, if you want to be my disciple, I'll provide, I'll care. So he says, don't be anxious about your life, about what you're going to eat or what you're going to drink or about your body, what you're going to, what you're going to put on. Well, think about this for a moment. Jesus is saying, if God gave you life, the, the miracle of life, then surely you can trust him to give you food and drink. He gave you life. And if God gave you a body, the, the miracle of the human body, then surely you can count on him for clothes. You see, Jesus is arguing from greater to lesser. If, if God took care of you in this way, then surely you can trust him with, with these little things. They're smaller. They're, they're littler. But notice what else he does. He asks this rhetorical question. Is not life more than food? What is Jesus saying? He's saying to us, this world isn't all there is. Don't live like this world is all that there is. This world, well, it's only a part of what exists. There's something greater than just the physical. There's the spiritual realm in which, in which God is ruler. So we don't need to live as if this world is all that there is, as if there is no God. Um, Richard Dawkins, one of the, the most famous atheists today, and probably be fair to say one of the angriest atheists of today, wrote um, a book called The God Delusion, a New York Times bestseller, uh, wildly popular. And in his discussion on atheism, Dawkins says this, there is nothing beyond the natural physical world. So supernatural creative intelligence, or pardon me, no supernatural creative intelligence lurking behind the observable universe, no soul that outlasts the body, and no miracles, except in the sense of natural phenomena that we don't yet understand. Well, much uh, of scientific thought today is ruled by that prevailing idea that this world is all there is, uh, the, the philosophy of naturalism. The, the material world is all that exists. And Jesus is saying to us, that's not the truth. Now, if it were the truth, then probably we might have something to worry about. If this world was all that there was, then, then yeah, we're trying to find food, we're trying to take care of things, and there's no one at the wheel of the car. But Jesus is saying to his disciples, it's not like that at all. God's at the wheel. He, he's involved. So you don't have to live in fear as if this world was all that there is, because it's not. So rest. God's got this. 
Since God gave you life, since he gave you your body, you can trust him to take care of you. Jesus says it clear. So we've seen that we shouldn't worry because life is more than just the physical, more than just the material. Next, Jesus says that we shouldn't worry because God's love for his children is immeasurable. God's love for his children is immeasurable. Look in verse 26. Jesus uses the birds as an illustration. He, he says, don't worry, why? Look at the birds. They don't plant and they don't sow. They don't gather up into big barns. They just instinctively trust that God's going to provide for them. Now, don't misunderstand in this that, that this means that you shouldn't work and you should just say, well, God's going to provide. The birds are out gathering, there's no doubt. But they're not out planting and sowing as we do. And Jesus says, look, those birds, God takes care of them. The Father feeds them. He, he, he cares. And then he says something so powerful. Are you not much more valuable than they Why? Because we know if we go back to the beginning in the creation when God created Adam and Eve, we know that people were created in the very image of God. This separates us from every other creature that was created. This makes humans infinitely more valuable than than all of the other wonderful creations that God gave. So he says, God takes care of that bird. Oh, surely you can trust him to take care of you. So now Jesus reverses the argument. It was arguing from greater to lesser. Now he argues from lesser to greater. If he takes care of these small things, surely you can count on him to take care of of you. You're you're of great value to God. Now let's skip down to verse 28. And why are you anxious about clothing? Consider the lilies of the field. They grow, they neither toil nor spin. And yet not even Solomon in all of his splendor is more beautiful than they. So Jesus says, look, Solomon was the wealthiest king of Israel, had the greatest blessings of Israel, but his his garments, his clothing paled in comparison to the beauty of the flowers that God has made. If God makes flowers that beautiful, that amazing, can't you trust him to provide clothes for you? You're more valuable than a lily. You're of greater worth than that. And so God says to his disciples, you must not worry. You must not worry because God's love for you is immeasurable. It's great. Now, the other day I was eating with my kiddos at Golden Chick, and you know they have those little, the little egg thing, and the kids always, they're dying to, to waste a quarter to get some little trinket out of the eggs. And and so Kate puts her quarter in, and she got, it was a pretty good price. It was a gold ring, and it was made out of some kind of real metal. And that little trinket ring, I don't know, she got it probably three weeks ago or so. You know what? I don't have any idea where that ring is at. And I'm pretty sure no one in the house will be able to find that little trinket ring. But I can assure you, my wife knows where her wedding band is, and I know where my wedding band is. You see... That little trinket ring is not really of great value, but a wedding band it is. And this is exactly what Jesus wants us to see. That bird, well, that pales in comparison to the value of God's children. He's going to keep watch after you. He's taking care of this this little bird. He's going to take care of you. Don't don't live in fear. Don't, Don't live in worry and anxiety. No, Trust him. 
Trust him. You're in his hands. That's what Jesus is saying. If you're his child, God has his eyes on you. 1 Peter 5, 7. Peter urges believers, cast all your anxieties on him because he cares for you. Put them on him. You're not meant to carry that. Leave them with him. Next, trust him to take care of you. Trust him to meet your daily needs. Trust him to provide. Again, as I mentioned earlier, that doesn't mean you stay in bed all day and you fret because the bills aren't paid. That, that's ridiculous. That's silly. Ephesians 4.28, 1 Thessalonians 4.11 teaches us that God expects us to go out and to work and, and to, to make a living. But we do what we can and then we trust Him to take care of us. We, we trust Him to, to make it all right. In Matthew 6, 11, we talked about this a, a good while back in the Lord's Prayer. He taught the disciples, give us this day our daily bread. In other words, we can count on God to take care of us, to, to meet our needs. In Lamentations 3, 22 and 23, we see this beautiful picture of God's love. The steadfast love of the Lord never ceases. His mercies never come to an end. They are new every morning. Great is your faithfulness. What does this tell us? That God's love is great for his children. He's faithful. So we've seen that we shouldn't worry because of God's great love. Next, Jesus says that we shouldn't worry because worry won't make you live any longer. Worry's not going to increase the span of your life, not one second. That's what Jesus says. Go back to verse 27. And which of you, by being anxious, can add a single hour to a span of life? So what you can do is you can worry and be scared and you can ruin the life that you have by doing that. But you're not going to add any time to your life. You're not going to add any time at all to your life. I was reading an an article about worry and and now in in our culture it seems that worry and anxiety and and disorders related to anxiety are are almost an epidemic. Um, And studies have, have shown that Our physical well-being can be affected by our worries and by our fears. So so we can actually harm our health physically by our our fear, by by our anxieties and and worries. So, so So Scripture is clear that we need to keep our trust in the Lord. It's not going to add time to your life to worry, but it may well take away from it. So don't live with anxiety. This is not God's plan for you. Don't live with anxiety. It's it's not God's plan. Next, get help if anxiety is overcoming you. There are folks who who live almost entrapped by fear and anxiety and worry. Not able to, to have joy in life because you're always scared. Always fearful that this could happen or that could happen or or this might be or that might be. God doesn't want you to live that way. If if anxiety is overcoming you, I want to encourage you to to seek the counsel of a mature, solid believer who can offer you biblical counsel. It may be that that you need to get even some some medical help, but but those, those issues need to be explored. God doesn't want you to live there. So we've seen that we shouldn't worry because it's not going to increase your longevity. Next, Jesus says that you shouldn't worry because when you worry, you're living like a person who doesn't 
know God. When you worry, you're living like a person who who doesn't know God. Look in verse 31. The scriptures say here, do not be anxious. Uh, Again, Jesus repeats this about what you're going to eat or what you're going to wear or any of those kinds of things. Why? Because that's what the Gentiles seek after. In other words, that's what those who don't know the Lord are chasing. They're going after those things. So, So don't live like that. You're living like a lost person. Um, He says, your heavenly Father knows that you need them. So Jesus says, you're you're saying, hey, I need food, I need drink, I need clothes. I have have these these needs. He says, "Don't, don't live in fear about all of that. That's the way lost people live. Instead, recognize that your Father who knows you and loves you He's, he's going to take care of you. He, he knows your needs, so don't live as if you don't have a God who, who knows and, and who cares. D- don't do that. Now, notice in verse 33, he says, don't do that, but do this. Seek first his kingdom and his righteousness, and all these things will, will be given to you as well. So, so what is Jesus saying? He's saying instead of worrying about all of this and that and this and that, instead you seek first his kingdom. What is the kingdom of God? The kingdom of God is uh, the reign of God. So when a person comes to know Jesus, they enter the kingdom of God. And when a person grows in him, that that in a sense furthers the kingdom of God as disciples are made. So so how do we want to, to live? Instead of worrying, we want to put our focus on helping people Become a part of God's kingdom, helping people come to know Jesus, helping people grow in Jesus. And he says, seek first his kingdom and his righteousness. In other words, we want to live and put our focus on being transformed by Jesus and becoming more like him. We want to be people of character and kindness and, and think of the fruits of the Spirit, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, all those kinds of things. We want those things to develop in our lives. So Jesus says, not worry, but seek him. Seek his kingdom. Seek his righteousness. And then rest in him. Count on him. So when you worry, you're living like a person who who doesn't know the Lord, a person who's lost. Um, After World War II, there was a a Japanese um, army officer who was working in intelligence. And he was stationed on a remote island in the Philippines. And when... And Japan surrendered in 1944. Leaflets were dropped that said the war is over, surrender, all of those kinds of things. Uh, but he didn't believe it. He thought they were uh, propaganda pieces. And so he continued on. The last orders that he received when he was sent to that island was to, to stay and to fight. And so he continued on. Haru Anada was his name. And, and he stayed in that island living as a gorilla, if you will thinking that the war was continuing on. He had three other enlisted men with him. And through this, this time, they, they would get food, and on occasion, they, they would kill a, a Filipino, believing that they were some sort of an enemy guerrilla who, who was undercover. And when American or Filipino search teams came near, uh, they, they, he evaded them because he believed that they were the enemy trying to capture him to kill him. It was 29 years after the war before Anada realized that the war was over. A college 
uh, young college student went over to the island and found him and convinced him. And, and, and some officials with the Japanese government came to him to explain to him that it was indeed over. So from 1945 to 1974, he lived on this little island making do and thinking that he was being faithful to his government. Now some of you are here who are believers. But when it comes to worry, you're living trapped you're living in exile, like you're, like you're on that little island, believing and living in a way that denies your faith. You're trapped. You're, you're troubled. You're, you're in prison, if you will. God doesn't intend for you to live that way. God doesn't want you to live like a lost person. He doesn't want you to live as if there's not victory and hope in Christ, because because there is. So if you know Jesus, you don't have to worry. You don't have to live in the prison of worry. You've been set free. That war's over. So quit worrying about things, and instead put your focus on knowing Jesus and serving Him. That's a better thing to focus on. Now, Philippians 4, 6-8 gives us some good help as we think about avoiding worry. Philippians 4, 6-8 says, Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything, by prayer and petition, present your request to God, and the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus our Lord. Finally, brothers, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is just, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is commendable, if there is any excellence... If there is anything worthy of praise, think about these things. So what's Paul saying here? He's saying, hey, listen, don't worry. But instead of worrying, give your troubles to God with a thankful heart and then trust him. He'll send his peace to guard your heart. But notice in verse 8 what he says. This is an important part of, uh, of all of this discussion of worry. In verse 8 he says, you need to be careful what you think about. Put your thoughts on those things that are true and right and good. Things that are commendable and excellent and praiseworthy. So we pray, we, what we do, we, we have this burden, we have this worry. God, I have this medical test coming up, and I'm, I'm troubled about it. We, we bring it to him with a thankful heart. God, I thank you that you're faithful. I'm putting this situation in your hands. I'm going to trust that you're going to send your peace. And then when my mind gets this thought, I wonder if it could be this. Instead of going there and thinking, oh, wow, I'll bet it is this. What if it's that? Then if that's that, then this is that. And then this could happen and then that could happen. Instead, we do what verse 8 says. No. God, you say not to worry, to think on things that are good and right. So when that thought comes into my mind, I'm going to immediately say, Lord, help me to stand in your peace. I'm not going to let my mind go there. I'm not going to let my mind go there. I'm going to refuse to do that. God, I'm going to think on the things that are excellent, true, pure, right. You see, we have responsibility by God's grace to, con- to control our thinking. We have to put things in His hands, and then we have to, by His grace, uh, work on what we allow into our mind and what we allow ourselves to dwell on. Now, this passage brings up an interesting issue, and I want us to take just a moment on it. Some would say, well, pastor, this says that God's going to take care of you. But if you read, you can see that there are Christians who experienced famine, perhaps even Christians who starved to death. So is this true? 
Is this really true? Is what Jesus is saying true in light of the fact that Christians have experienced famine th- throughout the ages? I mean, even Old Testament saints experience famine, right? We talked about Naomi and Elimelech not too long ago. I don't believe this passage is teaching that a Christian will never experience famine. I don't think it's teaching that. What I think it's teaching is that whatever God's will is for you, He'll give you the grace to walk through it. And what I mean by that, let me, let me give you some examples. Luke 21, verses 16 through 18 says this, You will be delivered up, this is Jesus speaking, even by parents and brothers and relatives and friends, and some of you they will put to death. You'll be hated by all for my name's sake, but not a hair of your head will perish. Jesus just said, some of you are going to be put to death, but not a hair of your head is going to perish. What's he saying? He's saying, I'm with you. And they're going to kill some of you for following me. You're going to be martyrs for following me, but not a hair of your head. In other words, your destiny is in my hands. They're not going to be able to do anything to you that I don't allow them to do. And they're going to take care of you eternally. Uh, God is going to take care of you eternally. Or let's look at Paul's words in Romans 8, verses 32 through 37. He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, how will he not also with him graciously give us all things? Who shall bring any charge against God's elect? It is God who justifies. Who is to condemn? Christ Jesus is the one who died. More than that, who was raised, who is at the right hand of God, who indeed is interceding for us. Verse 35, who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or sword? As it is written, for your sake, we are being killed all the day long. We are regarded as sheep to be slaughtered. No, in all these things, we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. So in Romans 8, what's Paul saying? Paul's saying, hey, some of you are going to face, you're going to face the sword. You're going to face Famine, and you're going to die. But none of that's going to separate you from my love. You're going to be in my hands. You're going to spend eternity with me. There's no way for anything to separate you from my love. So let's move ahead uh, to Philippians 4, uh, beginning in verse 11. And we'll skip uh, from Philippians 4 down to verse uh, 11, down to verse 19. We'll skip some of the verses, but let's start in 11. I have learned in whatever situation I'm in to be content. Paul says, I've learned to be content. In verse 12, he says, I've learned the secret of facing plenty and hunger. Paul's saying right here, I've been in hunger. Abundance and need. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. What's Paul saying? Whatever God intends for me to face, I can do it. Not because I'm strong, but because he's strong, because he's faithful. In verse 19, and my God will supply every need according to his riches and glory in Christ Jesus. So God will meet my every need. So what is the scripture saying? The scripture is saying that when I walk with God and I trust him, he'll meet every need. Does it mean that one of these days, or or does it mean that that a Christian can never face famine? No, probably not. It may be that... That God's will for you is to endure and to find hope and strength in Him. Just like faithful Christians will be martyred. will face all sorts of things in this broken and messed up world. The key is that whatever He permits into your life, He will provide. He'll take care of you. He'll meet your need. He'll give you all that you need to live according to His will. That's what Scripture clearly says. So that means that I don't have to fear one second. God's going to meet every need. He's going to take care of me. So we've seen that we shouldn't worry because worry is the way of non-believers. 
Next, Jesus says that we shouldn't worry because worry is senseless. Worry is senseless. Look in verse 34. Jesus says, therefore, do not be anxious about anything. Or, I'm sorry, about tomorrow. For tomorrow will be anxious for itself. Sufficient for the day is the trouble. So Jesus says, you're worrying about tomorrow. That's crazy. What can you do about tomorrow today? Instead, you ought to be dealing with the things that you face today because there's plenty enough trouble today. You've probably heard folks say, "Um, don't borrow trouble, right? When you start thinking about what's going to happen out there and out there and out there, we start borrowing trouble. we got enough trouble for today. That's what Jesus is saying. It's senseless to worry about that. Deal with what you face today. And what the Scriptures clearly teach is that Jesus gives grace for the trouble that we face today. Do you remember when the, old, the, the Israelites were wandering around in the wilderness? They had left Egypt. They had not yet come into the promised land. And they needed food. And God provided food. He provided manna for them. But what was the instruction? Take enough for the day. Don't, take, don't try to gather extra. If you gather extra, it's not going to work out. Take enough for the day. And that's what we see. God gives us the grace that we need for the day. He doesn't give us the grace that we need for tomorrow and the next day and the next day. Now, he gives us the grace that we need for those days when that day comes. So don't spend your time worrying about what's out there. Instead, by God's grace, face the things that you've got to face today and trust that he's going to meet your needs in the midst of that, that he's going to take care of you in the midst of that. I can remember when I was a kid, my dad would always say if somebody was worrying, because usually what they were worrying about didn't happen, and he would always say, well, hey, keep worrying. It must be working. You know, it, it, what, you're, what you're worrying about, it, it's not happening. And, and, and so much of that is real. We, we're always borrowing trouble. Jesus says that's senseless. That's crazy. So leave the future in God's hands. The good news is that he's sovereign. The good news is that he's behind the wheel. He's sovereign. Nothing is going to happen in your life that hasn't passed through his hands. The worst that Satan can throw at you, the most horrible thing that you could ever face, God's going to be with you. He's permitting it, and he will not leave his children alone. With God's help, work through the challenges that you face today, but don't borrow trouble. No, take the grace that God gives today and walk in that with joy, with hope, with encouragement. Now, again, this doesn't mean that we shouldn't plan for the future or make, you know, uh, make wise decisions about the future. We know that. Proverbs 6, 6, and 8 that we talked about last week and encourages making good decisions regarding the future, but it means that we don't spend our time worrying about the future. One of the things that we fear the most is death, isn't it? The thing that gives us the greatest anxiety often is the loss of a loved one. As a pastor, I have walked aside, alongside many families in those difficult days. And what I've seen over and over in the lives of families who are believers is I've seen them grieve and hurt, particularly in tragic situations, but I've also heard them give testimony over and over again. God's given me, God's given me strength. He's, he's helping me through this. I never imagined that I, could, that I could take that next step, but somehow, by His grace, I did. 
And so if the worst that you can imagine happens, we live in a fallen world. We can count on this. We will not take a step alone. He will be right by our side, giving us the grace and the strength that we need for the moment. What incredible hope is there? The hope that we have for, for brokenness to be over, well, that's, that's in heaven. and we, we can't wait for that. It'll be glorious and wonderful. But today, every person who belongs to Jesus has another incredible and amazing hope, and that is in the midst of this broken world, God's going to meet your needs. He's going to take care of you, and He's going to give you all that you need to fulfill His will. Never, ever alone. Oh, that's good news. Remember, God does not intend for you to be worried to death, but for you to put worry to death by His grace. God does not intend for you to live your life worried to death, but for you to put worry to death by His grace through His strength. So trust Him. Trust Him. Memorize some of these passages on worry, and when, when worry begins to, to, to eat at you, Pray through that, that, that passage. Pray through that verse. Ask Him to send that peace that passes understanding. And then work to control your thoughts by, with, with His help. God, help me not to go there. Help me to, to stay focused on you, what's good and right and, and true. Now, friends, what I've talked about this morning are wonderful assurances for those who belong to Jesus. But those of you who have not yet made peace with God, this hope, these promises, they, they don't apply. You see, to have peace in God, you must first make peace with God. Romans 5.1 says this, Therefore, since we've been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. So have you ever made peace with God? I mean, like, what I mean is, has there ever been that defining time in your life where you've said to the Lord, hey, I'm, I'm, I'm holding up the flag of surrender. I've been doing things my way, and I don't want to do that anymore, God. I, I surrender. I want to follow you and obey you. I believe Jesus came and died and, and was buried and was raised to life. I believe that, God, and I want to follow you. That point of surrender and faith is the point at which we become Friends of God instead of enemies of God. Why would we be enemies of God? Well, because every one of us is guilty of sin, and our sin makes us an enemy of God. How do I turn from being God's enemy to, to being a part of his family, to being a friend of God? I surrender, and I put my faith in him. Has that surrender ever happened in your life? It, if it hasn't, that's what God's calling you to today. He's saying to you, today, will you surrender? Will you believe and, and put your faith and trust and he offers you life and hope and peace. Let's go to the Lord in prayer.